Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I thought we would take time this morning to look at our passage where Paul is instructing, teaching, if you will, kind of re-instructing uh, the Corinthian church on the Lord's table. We'll start at verse 17 and uh, we'll read through. Uh, on to the end of the chapter to get our full context as we look at our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, starting at verse, four, verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the, is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home that ye may not come together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, this time that we have as a body of believers to gather ourselves together, to fellowship one with another, to lift up our voices on high in worship and praise and adoration of you, of thanksgiving for your goodness and grace to us, we pray now for this time as we sit at thy feet. May our hearts, our minds truly be open to receive what you have for us from thy word. That the Holy Spirit who is here in our midst would use that word to draw us closer to thee. That where sin needs to be confessed, may it be brought to our attention. Where we need encouragement, may it be there to strengthen us. Father, for just instruction in righteousness, that it all would be there, so that we would be conformed and made into the image of Christ. 
that the sanctifying work that you are doing in our lives would continue as a result of thy word this day. We thank you for this time that we remember that brutal death that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross in our place. Father, we humbly thank you and praise you for that love that you showed to us. Father, as we look at this time, truly may our hearts stand in awe and wonder and adoration and joy, in solemnness, if you will, to an extent. For it is such an awful scene to behold in our mind's eye that he actually died on the cross, bearing our sins in his own body on that tree. But we do thank you for that. For without it, we would not be able to be standing here praying to you. He is our mediator. And he has made it possible for us to enjoy a sweet relationship with you through him. So, Father, I pray that our hearts would truly be brought close to thee this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I mentioned, I thought we'd look at the Lord's table this first Sunday of the month as we have our time to remember the Lord's death till he comes and kind of answer, if you will, a question. I always like to do that, if you will, uh, with my messages. And uh, that is, what is the Lord's table? And we, we know it to be, well, that's, it's unleavened bread and it's the fruit of the vine. It's these two elements. Yes, it is. And these are remembrances of Christ's body that suffered for us and of his blood that was shed for us. But let us look at what is the Lord's table. And uh, we have several points to address in this as we kind of work our way through this passage um, and looking at what it is. Paul lays that out for them. As we see in the context, they had made the Lord's table to be a feast. In our modern day, they made it a potluck dinner. People brought their food and came to dinner and at church, and this was the Lord's table. And as he noted, those that had, had, and those that didn't, didn't. There was no sharing. In a sense, it wasn't a Baptist potluck, because we typically bring ours in for everybody to share and enjoy. And uh, as he notes, they weren't doing that. I brought mine, and it was for me. You didn't bring anything? Oh, well, too bad. I guess you're not going to partake of the Lord's table today. And he gets after them for that, and rightfully so. As he says, this isn't the Lord's table. That's not how it's accomplished. And he says, I already told you this, and I'm telling you again. This is the Lord's table. And uh, so let's look at what is the Lord's table. In verses 24 and 25, we see, first of all, that the Lord's table is a time of remembrance. As he notes, this do in remembrance of me. And at the end of verse 24, he says, in remembrance of me. Many communion tables, I know ours doesn't, but many will often have those words engraved in the front edge, in remembrance of me. Because it is a time to remember what our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, accomplished on the cross of Calvary. 
That's why we have this time. It is a time to remember. It is a time to stop, reflect upon, think about Christ's suffering and sacrifice that was freely given for us. We read John 3.16, and it is in a different setting as Christ is talking to Nicodemus and telling him that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We see God's love demonstrated in Christ's suffering, and he did that freely for us. I am often, when we stop at these times to reflect on this, just really overwhelmed with that love that Christ would suffer my punishment for my sin in himself. And not just for me, but for everyone who has ever been born and will be born. And it really starts to overwhelm you with that thought that he loved me that much. I mean, just for me, but then to put everybody else into that picture. But he did. That's a great love. I may willingly die in my wife's place. You know, don't come into our home, please. There are firearms that I have. And I do know how to use them. And I will protect my wife. But I don't know that I'd necessarily be willing to do that for just anybody. Especially if it's someone that I don't particularly like. You know, and there are some evil, wicked men in this world that is, I don't know that I'd want to give my life in their place. And yet, Christ did that for all of us. As he reminds us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were at odds with him when he died for us. And it is truly a humbling thought that Christ died for us. He was our substitute. He took our place. We should have been nailed to the cross. But he chose it instead. It is a time of remembrance that Christ accomplished that, did that for us, demonstrating his great love. Verse 26, the Lord's table, secondly, is a time of proclamation. He notes here, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now that word shew, and I say it a little differently, it's S-H-E-W, it's an English word that we don't use today. We think of show, S-H-O-W, we show something. It means in the Greek, and we probably could see a little bit of that in our word show, but it means to proclaim, to publish, to announce, to declare. Ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. So it is a time of proclamation. We don't necessarily always think of that, do we? But as we partake of these elements, we are proclaiming, we are announcing, primarily to one another, yes. 
because this is not a, a public, it's not a truly public uh, service. We're not out somewhere where the whole world can see us, like it would have been in many instances back in the New Testament days, since they didn't have a church building where they gathered. They typically gathered in homes or in other uh, facilities where they could gather in larger groups, which, you know, the church building wasn't in place at that time. But it is to, to proclaim, to publish, to declare, to make known. And we gather announcing, if you will, that Christ died for us. He is our substitute. And we are remembering that fact that he died for us. And we're proclaiming it to, again, one another, that yes, Christ died for us. He sacrificed himself for us. We're declaring also our reliance upon God for our salvation because we are noting he died in my place and we are acknowledging that as we partake of this Lord's table. God, I need you. I need you in my salvation. You died in my place for my sins. And I need you still, for you are still my Savior. And I need you each and every day. And we declare our reliance upon him. And he declares again his love for us. Because he died in our place. What a joy to understand that. But it is a time of proclamation. To make known, yes, Christ died in my place for my sins. Thirdly, verse 24, coming back to that verse, it is a time of thanksgiving. As noted here, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, he had given thanks. The Lord's table, while a solemn occasion... Because we are remembering his death, his bruised and torn body, his shed blood. It is also a joyous occasion because we are remembering his redemptive work on our behalf. And does that not bring joy to our hearts that he did that for us? Yes, it's, it's solemn and it's joyous kind of all at the same time. It is solemn. Death is not something we typically look forward to, is it? I mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't dwell on that thought. I know that unless the Lord comes before then that I will breathe at some point, breathe my last breath. The heart will stop. And this body will cease to function. I don't dwell on that thought. I rejoice in knowing that when that happens, that to be absent from the body, I'll be present with my Lord. And that's not so fearful. That's joyous. And that's a welcomed thought. But typically we don't enjoy death. We don't typically like to talk about it. 
But yet in this death of Christ, it's also a joyous occasion because he did it to redeem us. And that is a joyous thought. He redeemed me. He took me out of the slave market of sin. He gave me a new life in him. He unshackled me from sin. Sin is no longer my king. He is. And I can serve him now. And we thank him for that finished work that he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And that he brought that message to us. He didn't just leave it in the pages past for maybe for us to stumble across in some history book. He put it in his word and he recorded it for us and God through his providential working has allowed this book to survive for us to read it in our day. What a joy to consider that. What a joy to think that he did that so that we could hear that message of redemption that Christ did die in our place for our sins. Paying that penalty for us. And if we will but by faith come and believe and repent of our sin, that we can be saved. We can have that new life in him. And so it is a time of thanksgiving. We thank the Lord that this was accomplished for us. The Lord's table is also a time of anticipation. Verse 26, he notes as he closes the verse, you do show the Lord's death, that is you proclaim it, till he come. We usually don't think of it this way, but the Lord's table, there is an eschatological aspect to it. Because he reminds us right here, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Paul was reminding them that we do this remembering his death until he comes for us. He is coming. We've looked at that on Sunday nights here recently. We see it recorded for us in the scriptures. You look at Acts chapter 1. Right before Christ leaves, they're all asking him pertinent questions. Now that we've seen the suffering Savior, that suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53, one of their questions is, okay, so now are you going to set up the kingdom? Now are you going to sit on the throne of David? That's what all the Jews have been looking for. That's what they've wanted. That's why they rejected him primarily. Because he wasn't coming as king to throw off the shackles of Rome. And so they ask him, now that that's complete, are you going to, in essence, are we going to go back over the Kidron Valley, because they're on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem? Are we going to go back into town? And are you going to set up David's throne and rule and reign over Israel? like we have foretold for us in our scriptures? And he lets them know, no, this is not the time. And they watch him ascend into heaven. And we know the account, I trust, 
There are two angels standing there, and they say, Ye men of Galilee, why gaze ye up into heaven? Why do you keep looking? Well, I don't blame them for looking. I mean, we all would, I think. Just like we used to when we go to the airport and we could see them go through the gate and down the jetway and get on their airplane and we would watch them from the windows till that plane could no longer be seen. We watched it as long as we could. I'm sure the, the apostles were the same way on that mount. Moving around, if there were any clouds that he was passing through to see, did he go out the other side? I want to see him as long as I can. Why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same way that he went up, he's going to come back. They were letting them know, he's going to come back. In that same manner, physically. He physically departed from you, he's going to physically come back. And we've yet to see that physical comeback. You do show the Lord's death, Till he come. As we remember the Lord's table, as we remember that time of his death, it is with that anticipation of his imminent return. We know that he's going to come in the air. He's not going to come back completely to the ground. He's going to come back in the air and catch his bride away. The church. There'll be a trumpet, there'll be a shout. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We look forward to that day. In Matthew chapter 26, Matthew's account of the Lord's table, Christ notes this, and again, this is uh, the gospel to the Jews, if you will, Matthew's gospel. But he notes in verse 29, as he concludes the Lord's table, says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What a joy to look forward to that day when we will be together with him in his kingdom. And so it is a time of anticipation. Our Lord could return. Wouldn't that be glorious this morning? As we finish our Lord's table, as we're singing a hymn, we hear that trumpet. We hear that shout. And as we remember that sacrifice for our sin, that redemptive work, our Redeemer comes to take us home. What a glorious thought. And He could come. Do we realize that? Do we live in that kind of anticipation? Remembering, proclaiming, till he comes. Lastly, it is also a time for self-examining, self-examination. As we will state here in just a little while. Verses 27 and 28. 
says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, that is, not in a worthy manner, that there's sin in their life. We've come in here like he has just sought to correct them about. They came without considering that we're remembering the sacrifice for sin. You eat it unworthily, you'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. I mean, here we are sinning, remembering that he gave his body for our sin. I can't, I can't put words there to just, you know, how, how bad is that? And Paul's noting that. But I love those three little letters, B-U-T, but... It doesn't have to be verse 27. Because in reality, are we really worthy to partake? No, because we're sinners by birth. We're sinners by nature. But he has provided a means whereby we can be worthy by seeking his forgiveness, his cleansing. It says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. God desires, I mean, that's why he's instituted this, that's why he's given it to us, so that we can partake. He doesn't want us to sit here and not partake. He wants us to partake of it. Say, but I, have, I may have sin in my life. Then examine yourself. Seek his forgiveness. Like David of old in Psalm 139, he notes as he closes out that wonderful psalm, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, he already does search us. He does know our heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is noting, yes, God, search me, look at me. See if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Why? Because he was seeking his forgiveness. And we see that with David. We have Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. Why? Because David sinned. And he sought to cover it up. But I think in relationship with this psalm as well, he knows he can't cover it from God. God knows. And when it was revealed to David, David sought forgiveness. Examine yourself. Be open to God's working and asking for his forgiveness. The Apostle John notes to us, as we often will read, quote, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we take that time to examine and God reveals things in our hearts and our minds, we ask for forgiveness. And we have this promise that if we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And now we're worthy. There's nothing between our soul and the Savior, as the hymn writer says. 
and we are worthy partakers. Our sin has been confessed, it's been forgiven, and we're now ready to partake. It's a time of self-examining. As I've, as I've said, it's not for me to take a stick and say, yes, you, yes, you, nope, you can't. It's not for the deacons to do the same. It's for each of us to take that time to see that are we walking in obedience to our Lord? Are we here as a child of God in as open communion with him as we can be? If we are, then we can partake and rejoice in that solemn occasion of remembering his sacrifice for our sin and thank him for it and rejoice in that salvation that we have in Christ. God desires for us to partake. That's why he instituted it. He wants us to remember that. And so we have the, the blessed and joyous opportunity this morning now to remember his death. Remembering it till he comes. What a joy to partake of it this morning. Remembering his sacrifice for us. Let's pray.